just need to turn to you in your goodness. Thank you for this time in praise and worship. We give you thanks. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. pause for a moment. We're just going to pause for a moment. If you're here right now, well, you are here right now, <laughs> but you, you need a touch from the Lord. Maybe, maybe you're going through something. Maybe it's that you're feeling alone. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you're in need of a physical healing. Maybe you are overwhelmed. Maybe circumstances are out of your control. Maybe you have no vision for your future. Maybe you are sad, overwhelmed, in financial distraught whatever it may be, I believe that God wants to touch you, Amen. to encourage you, to meet you right where you are, to meet you right where you are. And I believe there's faith in the room right now. So I'm going to invite you, if any of what I just said or something else represents where you are and you simply want to be prayed for and to be praying with. I'm going to invite you to stand in faith and come forward right now in the service. Just to stand in faith to come forward right now and don't, don't listen to any arguments that might be happening in your own mind. Why there would be a reason not to go forward Rather than that, find the reason to come forward because God is here and God knows and God will help because that's what he does. He delights in fulfilling even his promises for his children. It's his delight to fulfill his promise for his kids. Come on, let's fill in. Just squeeze in, guys. Get in tight. Pack it in nice and tight here. More coming. Now, maybe you see somebody who's standing up here. I would invite, if you're an elder or a deacon or an intern or someone to come, or if you just want to come pray with someone, you just want to stand, you want to put your hand on someone's shoulder and you want to just believe God, will you just stand from where you are and come down and stand with one of your brothers or one of your sisters? And let's let faith arise in the house today. And let's believe God for miracles. Let's believe God to do the work that only he can do. When we are at the end of our own rope, when we are absolutely at the end of the road, and we know beyond the shadow of a doubt we need a miracle, we need God to step in, we are believing right now. And I'm going to invite you, those who are remaining to seat in, in, in your seats, will you pray with us today as we pray, and let's believe God for miracles. Father, as already has been prayed, we're looking to you. Jesus, we look to you. You are the author and you are the finisher of our faith. Your word declares that all of the promises of God are in him, that is, in Christ. In him, yes, and in him, amen. And you delight, Lord, in answering the need. You delight in hearing the prayers of the righteous. And though not a one of us in and of our own selves feels righteous, even as Matthew prayed a moment ago, you demonstrated your love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, you made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So Lord, even though we don't feel righteous, Lord, we are righteous in Christ in your eyes and you delight in hearing the prayers of your children so, Lord, with no hype, just faith, we come and we say, God, we need you. We need you. 
Lord, we need you. Where there is no vision, God, will you birth vision? Where there is no sense of a future, God, will you remind us that you have a future for us and that it is good? Lord, where there is trial and there is tribulation and there is heartache and there is even headache, Lord, will you minister? Will you, God, open doors that no man can shut and shut doors that no man can open? Lord, will you take us, your children, by the hand? Will you lead us? Will you guide us? Will you direct our footsteps, footsteps, Lord? Your word says that the footsteps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. God, will you direct our paths? Will you make the crooked places straight? Will you make the bumpy roads level? God, will you go before us? Your word says, fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you, declares the Lord. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Child, you are mine. When you walk through the waters, I will be there and through the flame. And you will not in any way be drowned and you will not in any way be burned. For I am with you, declares the Lord. God, you are with us. Emmanuel. God with us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Your word says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. And so God be glorified. We pray, Lord, for those who are in need of a physical touch right now. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Your word says it is by Christ's stripes we are healed. Lord, will you administrate even divine healing in Jesus' name? Lord, will you open the eyes even of perhaps those that are overseeing in the area of uh, medication and in the, in the whole arena of health, Lord, and our doctors. We pray, God, for wisdom and insights and where there's surgery and the removal of cancers and where there's cancers, God. Lord, will you help? Lord, will you do those miraculous things through medicines and treatments and surgeries? And Lord, where those are insufficient, God, will you do divine work so we commit them to you? Father, for those who are in need today of financial provision, we recognize and in our own fears and our own sense of trying to solve our problems, God, we get in there and we try and we, we writhe and we get anxieties and we get stresses and we get cares and worries. Sometimes we fix our eyes on the wrong things and it's all about other things other than the kingdom of God. Lord, we know that we are more valuable than sparrows. We need not toil and spin like the lilies of the field. They do not toil nor spin, but God, we, we can be at peace. And so God, we are praying for peace for those who are in that state of anxiety because of financial stresses. Your word says to pray, to come before you, being anxious for nothing in all things through prayer and supplication. Present your request to God with thanksgiving. And your word says, and the peace of God, which transcends understanding, We'll guard our hearts and minds in Christ. God, will you help? Will you help? Will you bring peace? You are the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. The Prince of Peace. God, we need you. And Lord, above that even, will you show? Your word says in John 16 that the Spirit of truth will show us things to come. Lord, will you bring revelation knowledge of how you will help those that are in financial distress? What is the way out? What is your arm of provision? How will you be doing it for your glory and for your namesake, God? So, Lord, all of the needs and those that are here standing and those perhaps that are remaining in their seats who said, I'm not going to go forward, but God, you know. You do know, God. You do know. And you're helping. So, Lord, will you administrate and will you minister and will you heal and will you bring health and healing. God, for families, the restoration of families in the name of Jesus, the restoration of marriages in the name of Jesus, the restoration of relationship. Lord, you are the God of the impossible. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Lord, will you restore marriages in the name of Jesus? 
where the enemy has come but to steal, kill, and destroy, we say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. In the name of Jesus, the Lord rebuke you. Every principality, every power, every ruler, every spiritual force of wickedness in the heavenly places, we serve you notice, hands off, in the name of Jesus. You have no authority. And we yield ourselves to the authority of Jesus Christ and the word of God, which is our rule of faith and conduct. And we submit to the word. We submit to you, God. And Lord, will you restore families and children in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We come against those forces that are at work in the breaking down of the family unit. And we say, the Lord rebuke you. Oh God, will you restore in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, for your glory. Father, bring prodigals home in Jesus' name. Lord, will you bring deliverance for those who are in addiction? Lord, maybe the addiction's in alcohol, maybe the addiction's in drugs, maybe it's prescription meds, whatever it may be. God, would you bring deliverance in the name of Jesus? Maybe it's in the area of sexuality. Will you bring deliverance in the name of Jesus? In the name of Jesus. Pornography, in the name of Jesus. Deliverance, God. Freedom from. Be glorified, Lord. Help. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. God, deliver. We ask all of these things with our eyes looking to the mountains from whence comes our help. Our help comes from you, Lord, maker of heaven and earth. You are able. You are willing. And Lord, we yield to you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said a strong amen. 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 Will you hug and love on somebody as you're making your way back to your seats? God bless you. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Well, amen. God is good. God is good. Well, as you're going back to your seats, uh, I have just two quick announcements that weren't in the video. Uh, One's an announcement and one is an acknowledgement. Uh, And so yesterday, yesterday morning, uh, we had an awesome opportunity and a ministry uh, that was put on by some folks here uh, in our fellowship. And so uh, we just want to honor Gary and Michelle Uh, Presting for opening up their business to winterize and to service some cars. Um, I don't know how many cars came through. It might have been one. Um, There might have been a few more. Uh, If you didn't go get your car winterized, you missed out on a great opportunity. Um, But if you see Gary and Michelle, uh, give them some love this morning. They're sitting here in the front row. Uh, So give them some love this morning and thank them uh, for their service to us. Um, also, we have an announcement, uh, our resource table out in the foyer. Uh, it is growing in resources every week. And uh, so I was talking with John Roberts this week, and he said, hey, I got a whole bunch of new uh, material, and what if we were to just start giving it out to everyone in the church, which is awesome. And so how many of you guys go Christmas shopping? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. How many of you guys go to uh, staff Christmas parties or family Christmas parties where there's a gift exchange? Yeah? What... Greater gift than to give someone a book telling us the true story about Jesus and the true story about Christmas. So go snag a free uh, book from the resource table out there, and there's some gospel tracts. Hand them out as you're doing some Christmas shopping. Uh, Just a great way to share the love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Thank you, Pastor Dennis and worship team. Thank you, church. It's good to be in the house of God. Amen? That was kind of puny. It's good to be in the house of God. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. I had a pretty exciting day yesterday. Left my house at about quarter eight, stopped by Gary's. Thank Gary, and I didn't see Michelle, but thank Gary for opening the shop. Then immediately got on the road as we headed down to Corvallis to Reeser Stadium. Clackamas High School was in the state championship football game. And uh, yeah, come on. And uh, we've been a part of the Clackamas family for many, many years. Uh, Myself, I coached at Clackamas High School for 12 years. I know my son Matthew coached there for six years. We have two of our interns who coach there presently. And uh, 
Josh Miller, who has coached the on the freshman team this entire year. I want you to know something that Josh introduced again at the freshman level, pre-game voluntary prayer. And uh, he, he actually, I mean, they had the entire team come to those prayer times before the game and pray and just believe in God, introducing faith. Yeah, it's just amazing. God's, God's moving. And Dan, uh, Dan Cheryl has taken up the gauntlet and the baton of not only coaching the varsity running backs, which he was coached by uh, Pastor Matt back in the day. And uh, we've had chapel services the entire 12 years I was there. Uh, kind of a two-year, three-year subsequent time, and now while they're there, these chapel services are going. Dan has continued the chapel services. He's also directing the FCA program, Fellowship of Christian Athletes there. And uh, we got down to Corvallis, and at 10.15 yesterday, almost the entire team came to the pre-service chapel. Dan asked if I would come in and share in this last of the chapel services. I want you to know that when Dan got up there, he said to every one of those men and young men that were there, he said, do not let this last chapel be the end of your pursuit of the person and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this world and he is pursuing you. Continue to pursue Jesus. And there was opportunity for you to thrive in your pursuit of Jesus. And it was just epic to see those young men and those men respond to the faith of this young man. And I just want to commend our interns for their work and their evangelism and their love on our campuses. So will you give those guys a hand? Great job. Just commended you. Got to share in the chapel, and at the end of the chapel, every one of those students and every one of those coaches, even the uh, police officers and the sheriffs that were there got on their knees, and we prayed we prayed together, and many of the players prayed. Many of the coaches prayed. I mean, the coaches were praying with tears in their eyes. It was absolutely amazing. Dan prayed, and even the sheriff was praying. I'm like, come on! And uh, what's that? and the water? The, the our trainers and wa one of our water girls. She prayed out in front of all those guys. I'm like, come on! This is epic. And at the end of each person praying, everybody said. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, hear our prayers. And it was just resounding in there. And it was so great. And then, and then, the football team went out and played in this contest for 48 minutes. And for 47 minutes and 57 seconds, Clackamas High School was losing. But with three seconds left on the clock, they kicked a 37-yard field goal and took the state championship and won by one point. So. so Dave Magel and any of you other Medford folk, <laughs> we're sorry, <laughs> but congratulations. And uh, I, I do want to say, uh, you know, the coaching staff at Clackamas High School, guys that I've coached with for years, they are men of faith. Several on that team, strong faith. Uh, I know that uh, Coach Bushman, uh, Joe Bushman, friend of mine, fellow coach, who's led, he had an article this last week in the Oregonian where he testified of his strong faith in Christ. Also saw, also saw a interview that was conducted by Dan Cheryl and McKenna, who is one of the directors in the FCA. Uh, they did a two-minute interview, and he testified again about the, what their purpose is, and their purpose is to, to develop men for life to develop young men for life. And he there gave also testimony of his strong faith in Christ and how Christ has been the rock that has helped him through all of the goods and the lows of his coaching tenure. So anyway, I was just very, very thankful and uh, epic stuff. So <laughs> praise the Lord. Uh, I think I have one other announcement I was gonna share. Um, yes. So... Most of us know that in our community, very specifically in North Clackamas, but also in Multnomah County and Washington County, the homelessness is on the rise. If you have not seen that, it is a very real and a very difficult uh, scenario. Uh, many, many people that are displaced for a variety of reasons. Very specifically in North Clackamas, 
the need is considerably larger because in years past there have been multiple places called warming centers when the weather gets at 33 degrees, the county declares uh, the warming centers to be open and a place for people to go. Several of those warming centers are no longer available because of some construction. One, Clackamas Service Center had a fire this year and they're in the process of rebuilding and so there's no overnight staying at Clackamas Service Center. In addition to that, the Annie Ross House, which is part of Northwest Housing Alternatives, has, uh, they're in the process of getting approvals for the deconstruction and reconstruction for a better facility. I will say that as late as last Thursday, they, there was no beds available there, but they've determined now that there are at least 20 beds at the Annie Ross House to help in the area of freezing weather and those that are homeless a place to go. But the county had declared a state of emergency. It's a state of emergency, and it was declared as late as November 8th of this year. And here's the beauty of what has transpired in this state of emergency. The county, which I know for me personally, my prayer has been that the church would once again be viewed by those who are on the outside, those that are just in society, they would look at the faith community as the ones having the answer to society's problems. Like it once was some 200 years ago in America when there was a crisis in a community, the first phone call was to the pastor or the parson. And they would, in turn, bring Jesus into the mix. Well, uh, we got the phone call. We got the phone call. In fact, an email came just directly to me. It said, we need your help. Will you come to the table? And we responded, yes, we'll come to the table. Now, I'm part of a collaborative work called All One. Most of you are familiar with All One. It is a collaboration of churches, and our fellowship helped initiate that some five years ago. And it's there, in that meeting, we representing not only Hillside, but representing All One, when we heard of the need, the need is for 1,000 beds a night. And the current realities are about 100 so the need for 900 more spaces. And Multnomah County has said we will not even take in Clackamas County people, residents. You imagine, that's creating a crisis. So we got in the mix, we got in the involvement, and we began to make recommendations. We think we can do this, we think we can do this, we think we can do this. And one of the recommendations, I want you to know that I spoke out. I said, we'll put together an army of 100 volunteers to help man warming centers and save people's lives. And everyone in the church said, were you talking about me, Pastor Dave? <laughs> I was representing all one when I made that statement. <laughs> 10 churches. I came, Mike and I came to our next all one meeting and we presented it to the other churches and one by one they said, we must do this. We must do this. We must do this. Boom, 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 all the way around the room, unanimous. We're in and we're gonna raise up an army. Our interns were there for the county's training on Thursday night at the county, videotaping it, a two hour training. They got trained and videotaped. Pastor Matt was there with them and we are equipped. Freezing temperatures will hit this coming Monday night. Central Nazarene Church, right over here off of Powell, has opened their doors and they can have as many as 60, possibly 100 beds in their facility. And they need at least eight to help man that thing through the night. Fire watch and just kind of keeping an eye on things. And so I volunteered me and I volunteered our staff, if that's who it came down to, there'd be eight of us there, and it would be our folks, interns, myself, Mike, John, Matt, Dennis. <laughs> Maybe not Dennis. Anyway, all that to say, all the churches said, we'll make it known today of the need. And so I'm making it known, not only for Monday night, possibly Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Do you know that last year we had a sustained 21 days of 33 degrees and colder. 
And so we need space. Now, I will tell you that three and possibly four of the churches of all one are now seeking to open their doors also, and we think our bed total is up over 500 now. What has to happen is the fire marshal comes in, he approves and gives a number that it will be allowed in that warming center, and there's a little bit of training, as I mentioned, that needs to happen, and churches that do this and open their doors, there's also the desire to put a cup of warm soup in their bellies and just love on them, and visit with them around a table, and bring Jesus to the table, and introduce them to the Lord if they don't already know the Lord. And so, I'm gonna invite our fellowship, if you would like to be a part, and we're setting up a whole network of how those 100 people, when a 33 degree temperature is on the forecast, they'll open it up for slots to be filled at some four or five different locations right here in this North Clackamas School District area. So that includes unincorporated Clackamas County, Happy Valley, Milwaukee, parts of Gladstone, and even in a little bit in Southeast Portland. Here's the deal, we're not gonna say no to anybody. If they come to the door, we're gonna invite them in. Does that make sense? Now, some of us have kids that live on the streets. Nancy, are you raising your hand? How do you know where? Thank you for asking that question. Once they're approved, they'll post it at all of the locations that have food banks. They'll post it at Clackamas Service Center so that those that are living on the streets will know where to go. And they're familiar with most of those locations, like Wichita, the Wichita uh, Support for Family. Folks go there on a daily basis. It'll be posted right there. These are where the warming centers are, and so people will be directed. Northwest Housing Alternatives, Northwest uh, Family, all of those will be helping, and every church will have the information disseminated to them so that they know where to direct people. Does that make sense? So we're inviting you and me to become part of the Army. And uh, here's the beauty. What we said at the county is we said we are interested in the Band-Aid, we want, to be, we want to be part of the first aid kit and be part of the Band-Aid. But we are most interested in the systemic cause of homelessness. And we want Jesus to get involved in people's lives and bring solution and resolution so that we can help people out of the areas of addiction, so we can help people out of their financial crises, so that we can help people in those circumstances. And we don't have, we don't have the answers yet. But we believe the answers are in the house. Does that make sense? I know what we're trying to do with the establishment of a trade school and with the establishment of some 501c3 nonprofit businesses to help get even up to and including employment for people. But it's a, it's a slow start. We're, we, don't, I mean, we don't even have space yet. So we're working on those things. But there are answers and there are ways and there are things that we can do at least immediately in the triage. And that is to say yes. To say yes. The county is called the church. And we're the church. Can I get an amen? I mean, praise God. Praise God. The school district is looking to the church. We need you. I heard that from the superintendent's mouth at our last all one service. We need you in our schools, mentoring and loving kids, lunch buddies, and all of the things that are happening and we get to rise up. So praise be to God. If that's you and you say, you know what? I'd put my name on the list. I'll get trained. And whatever dates I'm available, when the crisis arises, I'll hop online and I'll volunteer my time. Maybe you'll do it as a team. Maybe you'll do it with another buddy or something like that. We need men and we need women. Praise the Lord. So you have a card in front of you uh, in the seat back in front of you that says prayer request. You can just write on there, uh, volunteer for warming center. And if you would leave those in the bucket in the back, that will help us. We'll get with you. We'll coordinate a training time. We'll make it really convenient. We'll bring some churches together. The county will come out and do the training. If it's spot on Monday and you say, hey, I'm available now on Monday, but I'm not trained, we'll just give you the video training two hours before your shift and you'll be ready to go. Does that make sense? How many of you would say, I think I could be on board with that? Show of hands. Look at that. Come on. That's epic. Awesome. Okay, so get those cards and fill those up. Awesome. All right, that announcement took about uh, 10 minutes, so we gotta tag 10 minutes on to the sermon time, amen? Uh, we are in the book, we are in the book of Exodus. Our theme for Exodus is an arrows out culture. Arrows out, we recognize that uh, Moses will be leading the children of Israel 
out of the bondage that they are in, and there is much for us to learn. We're in chapter two this week, and today the title of the message is Faith, Not Fear. Faith, Not Fear. Recently, I was at a pastor's appreciation breakfast hosted by KPDQ and the Fish, so thank you, Pastor Dennis, on behalf of uh, the entire uh, group of Salem Communications for your loving on the pastors. Uh, And it was there that Ron Walters, who is the Senior Vice President of Ministry Relations, he inspired the entire room of pastors, and he inspired us. First of all, Ron Walters, just when he smiles, he inspires everybody in the room. This guy, he's just full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, and he is just very inspiring. But he inspired us with four words. Four words. The four words, do not be afraid. So hold up your hand and say it with me. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And what he was saying to us in that service and in that inspiration time of appreciating pastors for what they do, he was reminding us because pastors get fearful because we're human And the word of God, God perpetually telling his people, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In fact, he went through, he said, God told Abraham, do not be afraid. God told Isaac, do not be afraid. God told Jacob, do not be afraid. God told Moses on three different occasions, do not be afraid. Three times God told Joshua, do not be afraid. God told Elijah, do not be afraid. God told Ezekiel, do not be afraid. God told Jeremiah, do not be afraid. God told Daniel, do not be afraid. On 10 occasions, Jesus himself to his disciples said, do not be afraid. afraid." Twice God told Paul, do not be afraid. Why would God be telling his children, do not be afraid? Because God's children have a tendency to what? Be afraid. Circumstances, situations, heartaches, hardships, griefs, no matter what it may be, oftentimes we get gripped by fear and fear paralyzes. We get into the state of the paralysis of analysis. We overthink things. We stew and brew on things. We neglect things because we know if we go there, we have to deal with it. And because of fear, we don't want to deal with it because we do, there is an unknown associated with it. And so men and women are paralyzed. Well, the children of Israel, and today, very specifically, a man by the name of Amram and a woman by the name of Jochebed, I'm here to tell you that they bucked the system. They were not afraid. They were not afraid. They were not afraid. And so in kind of a prelude, if you will, to Exodus 2's message today, I want to give a little bit of history because I believe that this history would be in order for us to understand the circumstances of what was going on in that area of Goshen while the children of Israel were in bondage down in Egypt. And I think it'll help us understand even our text. We're going to read 10 verses, and it'll help us getting an extra-biblical understanding of the historicity of what was transpiring and what had happened to that point. So the body of the history that I'm going to just share with you today comes from the Jewish Talmud, which the Jewish Talmud is the oral teachings of the rabbis, the Midrash teachings, which are basically the commentaries on the written word of God, the Jewish commentaries on the written word of God, and also Jewish commentaries on the Talmud, which are the oral teachings of the rabbis. So we have the Talmud, we have the Midrash. Also, from Josephus, most of us are familiar with who Josephus is. He's a first century historian who really was working for the Roman government, a Jewish historian working for the Roman government, and he has much written history of the Jews. In fact, uh, really a famous volume, The Antiquity of the Jews and the History of the Jews, if you will, and the Wars of the Jews, and uh, his teachings, uh, Josephus. Uh, And also the Samaritan tradition, uh, the book of Asatir, 
And so that's kind of where the history pieces that I'm going to give you, and it's just a little bit of information about what's happening. So regarding the Egyptians, very specifically Pharaoh, and this portion of Scripture that tells us that the Pharaoh that knew Joseph passed, and there was a new Pharaoh, and there have been several Pharaohs. Time has transpired, and there's a new Pharaoh. And these history books, this history information that was recorded for us extra-biblically says this, that Pharaoh's astrologers and his magicians, and lest you wonder about their significance, remember the story of Moses when he goes before Pharaoh, he casts his staff to the ground and it becomes a serpent, and Pharaoh's magicians and astrologers cast their staffs to the ground. They also turn to snakes. And you know the story, Moses' staff consumes, his snake consumes the other two. But just so you know of the significance of who the astrologers and the magicians are in Pharaoh's court, and they have power. I dare say there's not a person in this room that has ever seen someone throw a staff to the ground and it become a snake. And when that power is not the power of God, you can be certain that it's the power of the enemy of God. It's satanic in its nature. This is the real deal. This is the real deal. His astrologers told Pharaoh the exact day when the Redeemer of Israel would be born, even though they could not say whether it would be an Egyptian or a Hebrew. In other words, astrologers of that day were telling that Pharaoh that the Israelites were going to be delivered out of the bondage in Egypt and gave it up to and including the exact day that it would happen. You imagine the, uh, the, the understanding that that Pharaoh would have? You wait, wait, wait just a minute. You mean these people are going to be delivered from us? All of the, they built cities for us and we're not gonna have our workforce? And the demise of Egypt? That's our ruling family. That is not gonna happen on my watch, says Pharaoh. It would make the understanding of the commandment to cast the male children into the Nile River to drown, right? Sounds vaguely familiar to a cat by the name of Herod in the New Testament account in Matthew's Gospel in chapter two when he understands from the Magi, the Persian kingmakers who come, you know the Christmas story, they've come, they've followed the star, and they've come to crown the king of Israel. And Herod says, what? Who's this new king? Hey, when you find him, come back and let me know so that I can go pay homage to him as well. And the Magi left, and you know the story. They come to Bethlehem, and they find the child, and they offer gifts. And then the Spirit of God, an angel of God, tells them not to go back to Herod, and so they go out the back door and don't return. And so Herod determines when this occurred and where it occurred in Bethlehem. And so what does he do? He sends forth the command to what? To kill all the male children two years and younger. Right? This is because he's protecting his regime. He's the king of Jerusalem, just like the king and Pharaoh back, back in that day the commandment to get rid of the male children. We can understand because now we know historically that he had information that a redeemer was coming, one who was gonna bring deliverance to the children of Israel. Now, regarding the Jews, history also tells us the Talmud again and the Midrash, they give us information, these oral teachings and these commentaries on the word of God. They tell us that it was Miriam, Moses' older sister, that she had a dream that the child that was going to be born would be the deliverer and that he would also deliver them through the sea of reeds. 
You and I know it as the Red Sea. So Miriam has a prophetic dream about Moses who is to be born. And so when he is born and we know that his parents hid the child for three months because they saw something beautiful. Sometimes we think about the seeing of something beautiful as, oh, this is a fair child. This is a beautiful child. I want to help, help us understand even that translated word fair there is in terms of God fairness. God is being fair and it's beautiful because God is fulfilling a prophecy, not a prophecy that was given in a dream to Miriam. Yes, that may be also, but more specifically, when God spoke to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15, he said very specifically, in fact, I think, Matt, it's up on the screen maybe, Genesis chapter 15, let me find it, says these words in verse 13. Beginning in 13, it says this. Then he said to Abram, no, certainly. When God says no, certainly, ought we what? No, certainly. When God says yes, God means yes. When God says it's gonna happen, God means it's gonna happen. No, certainly, that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years and also the nation whom they serve I will judge afterward they shall come out with great possessions now as for you you shall go to your fathers in peace you shall be buried at a good old age but in the fourth generation they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God gave a promise to Abraham that his descendants would be in bondage for 400 years, but certainly deliverance would come and God would bring them right back to that land. And it was beautiful to Amram and Jochebed because God's deliverer had been born. And it's by faith that they believed. They believed. And so I give that history by really way of reminder. There are, very, there are two very distinct perspectives. You can imagine Pharaoh and his family, their perspective is very much fear-oriented. Fear orientation has a tendency to be very grasping and try to hold on to things. You and I, when we operate in fear, all too often we're like, what can I hold on to? And oftentimes in our process of operating in fear, we do a lot of damage. We can do a lot of damage. And Pharaoh, in his excising of the commandment to destroy the children, was doing a tremendous amount of damage. Tremendous amount of damage. On the other side of the coin, Amram and Jochebed and Miriam and possibly by this time even Aaron, they have a hope. They have faith because God is going to bring deliverance because he's good on his promise. He's good on his promise. I, I can only imagine what it was like in Goshen because the Israelites would have known of the promise that had been given to Abram. They would have known that. It was already being recorded for them. The entire book of Genesis was recorded for them already. It was the beginning of the Torah. These things, there were parts and pieces of it that were coming down. And so they understood these stories and would have known these things. And so they could calculate and figure out, hey, we're getting to the end of the 400 years. Something's coming. Something's coming. Very much so like in Daniel's case. Remember in Daniel's case when Jeremiah prophesied. Jeremiah prophesied that the children of Israel would be in exile for 70 years because the land of Israel had not received their Sabbath year for 490 years, so 70 years of captivity had been determined on the children of Israel. 
you remember the story during the days of Daniel and the days of Jeremiah and the days of Ezekiel. The children of Israel were captured by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire in 605 B.C. And the scripture tells us in the book of Daniel that towards the very end of the 70 years, he was a teenager when he was taken into captivity and now he's an old man. But he realizes that it's at the very end of the 70 years and he gets on his knees and he begins to pray. And the angel Gabriel shows up and gives this magnanimous prophecy that they would be delivered. And you can imagine the fervor of the people. Man, there's a deliverer that's been promised and we're, we've been in captivity for all these years and they're moaning and they're groaning about all their difficulty with the realization that they have hope because the promise was 400 years. I want to remind everybody here today, no matter where you may be in the midst of your circumstances, there's hope. There's hope because God's involved. God's involved, and God's promises are yes, and they are amen. And when he says it, he means it. And we can bank our lives entirely upon it. In Egypt, there would have been hysteria of the news of a deliverer also to be born on or around a very specific time in the growing populace of the Jews. So he, the Pharaoh, commanded the exile, or the uh, exiles, the uh, commandment to have the male children that were born to be drowned in the river, in the waters. So the house of Levi, instead of fear, faith is arising because of that promise that they knew. Anticipation, expectation, faith in their hearts. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, my faith is challenged. My faith is challenged. I want you to know that you've come to the right place when our faith is challenged. The word of God says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to saturate ourselves in the word of God. We need to saturate ourselves in the truths contained within the word of God. God's word is true. His promises are yes and amen. All of the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen. And so that we would have increased faith like the hearts of Amram and Jochebed. Well, let's read the text in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and we'll be brief on the three points that I have. I'll be brief. And a man in the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. Again, that word beauty there would be in the King James proper child. Uh, in Acts chapter 7, if you have time, go to Acts chapter 7 because we have Stephen's testimony. Stephen, Stephen says at three months, the, the hiding of three months at the birth of Moses, God was well pleased. God was well pleased. That's why it's easy for me to say that God is well pleased in the answering of his promises to his children. Because with the birth of Moses, he was answering his promise to Abraham. And so it's well pleasing to the Lord to fulfill his promises to you and I. That's such great news. God delights in fulfilling his promises to you and me. Praise be to God. Verse 3. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter 
said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. I love that Jochebed actually got to nurse her own son, and that Miriam was involved in this whole scenario. The means of saving a baby. I want you to know, and I think this is instructive to you and I, and this is a little side note, but I I think it's instructive to us that the text refers to the basket of bulrush as an ark. Two times in scripture, the Hebrew word uh, terah is used. Once of Noah's boat or the ark, and here Moses's basket or an ark. And I think it's instructed to us, and I think it demonstrates a little bit of faith by the parents. You see, there was a condemnation for male children to be overtaken by water and drowned. Just as in the days of Moses, there was a commandment that went forth that was going to destroy all flesh, lest you be in the ark, you would be overtaken by the water. I believe that it's very possible that Moses' parents, being familiar with the story, they also seeing the commandment, and that Noah became the deliverer of mankind, if you will, because he saved mankind in the boat. They recognizing that this child, being the savior of the children of Israel or the redeemer, that they also built an ark. They went to the word of God. They went to the source of God. They went to the literature of God and they were instructed by it, very, very potentially instructed by it, and they simply followed suit. And I would say to you and I, just by way of reminder, when you're in the midst of your heartache, when you're in the midst of the hardship, when you're at a place where you know not where to go and you know not what to do, that you would turn to the Word of God and receive instruction from the Word of God and look for direction from the Lord, from the Word of God, because I believe that there is going to be a story or something that will quicken to you because the Scripture tells us the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow, and it is the discerner of the motives and the intents of the heart. God will give direction to his children through his Word. Can I get an amen? That's just a little side note. Um... So the principle for us, if you will. So we have instruction for our daily living to be like Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed, to be people of faith and not fear. They operated by faith. Uh, I would say secondly, uh, we have lessons from their lives as reminders uh, for us to look Uh, to the book of life for instruction. Uh, I think my first point, let me back up for just a moment. I lost that first point. Listen to the Lord, thank you. Faith, not fear, listen to the Lord. And then look to the Lord. Let Let me say this in listening to the Lord. There are a lot of voices that are speaking in our ears. A lot of voices. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Moses' parents did not fear the commandment of the king. The king had given a commandment to destroy the male children. But they didn't fear that. It's a voice that was speaking. I want you to know that our enemy is also speaking and he is speaking fear statements in our ears. It's almost as if there's the angel on one side speaking the truth and the enemy on the other side speaking the lie. And lying statements can come in. And if they don't align, if the statement doesn't align itself with the word of God, don't listen to the voice. Don't listen to the voice. Even our own hearts are the most deceitful amongst the members of our own body. 
And so we have to be very careful even in aligning our own thoughts with the Word of God. And when our, li- when our thoughts don't align with the Word of God, we don't change the Word of God. We change our thoughts to align themselves with the Word of God. Sometimes it's just a matter of who we are. Maybe you've listened to things that other people have said about you. Maybe you've listened to things that parents have said about you. Maybe there's been a lot of discouragement in your life and the downplaying of who you are in your person. Can I remind you that your value is not established by what other people think of you. Your value is not established by what your employer thinks of you. Your value is not established by perhaps even what your spouse thinks of you. Your value is not placed on you by what anybody else places on you other than who Jesus says you are. And God established your value. God established every person's value here. He came and he died specifically for you. He died a substitutionary death. So he placed you at a higher value than himself. That's powerful. That's encouraging. So, faith, not fear, listen to the Lord. Faith, not fear, look to the Lord in the midst of our circumstances of life. Let's go to the word of God for instruction. And finally, turning to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, and you can just mark this in your notes if you're taking notes, Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Um, I mentioned uh, really that whole idea of Moses' parents understanding that his beauty was in the answering of or the fulfillment of that prophetic word. And I think that Stephen brings that out. Now, twofold instruction with this last point. Um, in faith, not fear. And really, faith, not fear in our position that we have in Christ. Faith, not fear in our position. First, note Moses' birth was well-pleasing. God delights in fulfilling his promises. It's delightful to the Lord to fulfill his promise. The scripture says in Acts 7, it was well-pleasing to God. Well-pleasing to God. So, If you're going through something and you need a promise from the Lord, God, what is it that you want to do? Go to his word. There are many who have tried to enumerate the promises, and I've said this time and time and time again. Probably the fairest number out there was between three and 5,000 promises. Three and 5,000 promises. Today, if you're sitting here and you are aware of 30 of them, you may be at a place where you know less than 1%. Now, I don't know anywhere in this world where we can operate on less than 1% information. My car does not even turn over with less than 1% fuel in the tank. It doesn't even start. Does that make sense? It behooves us to go to the word of God and know what the promises are so that we can bank on the promises and live on the promises of God. I remember the, the, the first three months I got saved. I was 19 years old. I remember going to a bookstore and I saw the, this little pamphlet book. It was you know maybe 100 pages and it was the personal pocket book of promises in the word of God. And I carried that thing everywhere in my back pocket. When something would come up, I'd open up that book. I'd find it. It was all listed in subjects. Whatever the subject was, and I'd find a promise. I'd say, All right, God. And then I'd just pray that. I'm three months old of the Lord, and I'm discovering promises for the very things that I'm facing in my life. It behooves us to discover what the promises of God are. So it's delightful to the Lord. Here's another thought, just associated with it delighting the Lord. Do you know that if you and I begin to trust in the promises of God, that brings God delight because He gets to answer His promise? That's pretty exciting. So I, in my faith, can bring delight to the Lord. That's exciting to me. Secondly, note that Amram and Jochebed weren't afraid of the king's command. I mentioned to you early when I started the sermon, Ron Walters said those four words, do not be afraid. 
Do not be afraid. It's interesting that they weren't afraid of the king's command. Who was the king? Pharaoh. What was the land? Egypt. What does that mean to you and me today? How does that apply to you and me today? Egypt, for you and I today, is a type of this world. Who is in charge of this world presently? The scripture declares that it is the prince of the power of the air. It's the devil. And he's in charge right now. They model for us that we need not fear the commandments of the prince of the power of the air, the things that he says and the commandments that he gives. We're not under his jurisdiction. We're under the jurisdiction of the king of the universe. And his name is Jesus. And he's in the process of redeeming this land, but we're not under the jurisdiction of the current leadership. We are sojourners. The scripture says we're ambassadors. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're ambassadors on this planet who is governed by another regime, but those rules don't apply to us. So we fear not his commandments. Does that make sense? He says, I have given you authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions and all of the power of the evil one. Nothing shall harm you. We are out from underneath his jurisdiction. We need not fear. And I believe that they model for you and I. They're an example and an ensampling. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, Paul, and I won't read the verses, verses 1 through 11. You can read it. It's, it's powerful realization. And it, there, there's encouragement in there on the way we live. But at the very end, it says, these things, the children of Israel, the stories that he enumerates in those 10 verses, he says, these things happened. They were written down for our admonition. And we learn from those. And we can recognize. And so, Amran and Jochebed, they weren't afraid. You and I, we can learn from that. Hey, let's not be afraid. It's faith, not fear. It's faith, not fear. It says, by faith. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. His parents lived by faith. We're encouraged in the New Testament, walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by faith, not by sight. So all of those things being said, three instructions. Faith, not fear, listen to the Lord. Faith, not fear, look to the Lord. Faith, not fear, lean on the Lord. Um, we've prayed. Had a lot of folks come forward. And I'm, I'm excited about that because I believe God is going to meet us where we're at. If you're here this morning and your faith is not in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and you would like to operate in the realm of faith and you'd say, I, I want to be a child of God. I want to put my faith in the Lord. We want to give you opportunity this morning. If that's you and you'd say, I recognize that my current state, my sin is not forgiven, and I want to receive the forgiveness that Jesus has provided for me. And you would say yes to the Lord. I'm going to invite, in fact, I'm going to invite everyone just to close your eyes for a moment. Will you just close your eyes for a moment? I'm just going to give an opportunity for people to respond. You would like to say yes to Jesus. The Bible says that Christ came and paid a price. He is the Redeemer. Like Moses, who redeemed the nation of Israel from that bondage, Jesus has come to bring absolute deliverance from the bondage of sin in its totality. The Bible says if we put our trust and our hope and our faith in Jesus, he cancels our sin debt, he gives us the gift of eternal life. If you'd like to put your faith this morning in Jesus and know that your sin is forgiven, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. Is there anybody here who'd say, I want to invite Christ into my life, have my sin forgiven, know that my name is written in God's book and know that my eternal destiny is heaven with God? If that's you this morning and you'd like to be included in this prayer, would you simply slip your hand up where you're at and let us pray with you? Give just a moment for you to respond. I see that hand. Thank you, honey. You can put it down. Bless you. Anybody else? You'd say yes to Jesus. You realize, I need the Lord. I need the Lord. I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. I'm going to invite you all to pray with me. 
And will you just repeat after me? Let's have everybody repeat after as two have raised their hands. And will you just repeat this prayer with me? Father God, this morning, I give my heart to Jesus. I invite you, Lord, to come in. Be the Lord of my life. Be my Savior. I confess I'm a sinner. And I need you. I need your forgiveness. I believe that you were raised from the dead. Thank you for dying in my place and living forevermore. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Two people said yes to Jesus this morning. Praise the Lord. Welcome to the family of God. Praise the Lord. We're going to be sharing in communion this morning, and I realize it's very, very late. So I think what I'm going to do, and those who prepare communion for us month in and month out, Charlie and Linda, I think what we're going to do is we're going to suspend having communion this morning. And we're going to have communion, and I'm looking at Frank in the back and any of our children's workers here. Do we have any of our children's workers here this morning uh, for Kids Town? Uh, I think what I'd like to do, Frank, I'd love to have the kids join us next Sunday and uh, from Kids Town as well as from Toddler Town uh, at, the, at the tail end of the service, and we'll do it probably about 11.15 and have all the kids come in here, and uh, they'll join us for that time of communion. Can we do that? Everybody okay with that? That was a beautiful thing. And so I got a thumbs up from Marnie in the back. Thanks, Marnie. <laughs> That's beautiful. Hey, let's stand this morning. Let's stand this morning.